Hi there, from Sydney, Australia, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling, and thank you so much for joining me. Here we are, episode 21, and we're speaking to David Steedman, the general manager of Mayton Guitars, an absolutely iconic uh, Australian guitar manufacturer, celebrating their 70th year this year. Now, before we get to that interview, uh, I want to give a big shout out to Michael Katselos and everyone at Stormfront Touring for putting on the amazing Gary Moore Remembered Tribute Concert. Uh, you might remember a couple of episodes we spoke to Michael and also Peter Northcott and Chris Gonzalez who were part of that amazing guitar lineup. Well, the show was last week and I went along and I was blown away. It was so good. So good. So well done, Michael, for putting together a fantastic show. Michael himself ripped on the guitar. He's, he's a fantastic guitar player as well. So uh, we're looking forward to more stuff coming from, from Stormfront. Now, I need to let you know, today's episode is brought to you by the Michael Dolce Masterclass Tour of 2016. The uh, Michael's classes have already started. There was a, a class in Sydney and Brisbane in this last week. And there are many more dates to come. But first, here's a word from Michael himself. Hi guys, this is Michael Dolce inviting you to my 2016 Funk Fusion Masterclass Tour. To give you a brief rundown of what the night consists of, we get 10 players in a room in a really relaxed atmosphere, nothing too intimidating. We cover soloing over the one chord vamp, I will be sharing all my concepts that have worked for me over the years and I still use to this very day. The idea is to show you guys these ideas and apply them to your own voice. If you feel that you know how to play a pentatonic scale and a major scale, that's all you really need. Um, if you're interested in attending the class, you can book through my website at www.michaeldolchimusic.com. So I look forward to chatting with you all and hopefully catch you at my next masterclass. Cheers for now, guys. Now, Michael's just posted a video with the latest dates and venues for his clinic tour uh, and also details about the second round of giveaways uh, in which Michael's giving away some really cool stuff. There's a, a Trinity model pickup, there's a Mission Rewire pedal, box of GHS strings, Charles Silly guitar strap and some other really cool stuff. So um, get onto that. If you go to the Guitar Speak podcast Facebook page, you'll see that video pinned to the top of our page or uh, get over to Michael Dolce Music. Now that competition is for Australian residents only. Now onto the interview of the day. It was a great honour for me to meet and speak with David Steedman, who is the general manager of Maiden Guitars Australia. Now Maiden are celebrating 70 years of guitar production, which is an incredible achievement and really places them in an absolutely unique position in the Australian musical instrument landscape. Now, at the end of the interview, we also hear from Michael Fix, one of our friends here at Guitar Speak Podcast. Michael's one of the first guys we actually interviewed, and you can dig back and find our interview with him. Um, but we sneak peek a little bit of his new album, Bending Air. And of course, Michael is a proud Mayton Guitars endorser. But now, onto my interview with David Steedman. Here we go. David Steedman, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Matt, great to be here. Great to speak with you. 
Great. Thank, thanks for your time. We know you've got lots on at Mayton, especially in, in this um, special year, the 70th anniversary of uh, your great company. Yeah, we're very proud to be turning 70 this year, Matt. Awesome. So we'll, I'll definitely be asking about some of the celebrations that you've, you've done and that you might have coming up uh, this year. But I wonder if you could tell me a bit about Bill May, the founder of Mayton. So Bill May is, um, Bill passed away in the um, in 1994, I think. I unfortunately never met Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I happened to be married to his oldest granddaughter, um, and we we only met in 1995. So I missed Bill by a year, unfortunately. But um, he still looms large over this place. I can tell you, it um, he's our founder, our, still our patriarch, and very important person. Uh, in our world and none of us would be here today working in what we do and being incumbents of this wonderful company wasn't for Bill. So Bill started the company back in 1946. He was originally a woodworking teacher and um, and, and left the business in probably the mid to late 80s. He had Parkinson's disease, unfortunately, which is obviously hellish for anyone, but particularly more so with someone who was a passionate woodworker. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, so it's his influence is still with us all day, every day inside this organisation. Mm, that's that's wonderful. So when you first started building guitars, um, so as you said in 46, what, what sort of models was he was he building? Well, from from 1946, from when the company started, so he was actually building guitars a little bit um, prior to that. But for the probably the first twelve or so years, it was purely acoustic guitars. Mm-hmm. Um, our solid body electric master sound range only started in 1958. So the first twelve years was very much um, acoustic. Okay. Yeah. And was Bill working? Um, was he working alone, or was he already um, having other people work for him in the company? Started business with his brother Reg. Mm-hmm. His brother Reg was a a, um, a wood machinist. So a woodworker, so you had the wood machining side of it, you had the woodworking teacher side of it. So that was a beautiful marriage, obviously. Yeah, and, right. And they, they worked together and, and built from there. I can't tell you sort of exact numbers per year over, over the time frame. Sure. Uh, I do know that um, we it, it grew gradually up to perhaps around about, I'm guessing around about 20-odd staff. Mm-hmm. If you... Um, 20, 30 years after he founded the company. I can also tell you that back in the early 80s when Neville, his son-in-law, started with Maton, I think the company went down as low as about five or six employees. Oh, okay. It was a really, really wow. difficult time. Yep. Um, and then in the uh, in the late 80s, um, he had Eric Clapton unplugged and, and a few other few other things happened in the world. Yep. And... Um, and and Mayton also developed a pickup, which was very very high quality and and Will's best practice at the time, and still is, and and they were things that really turned things around for us. And um, here we are today in 2016, and we have almost 70 employees. Wow, fantastic! Now, uh, uh, well, to today then, you've got those employees. You're in the uh, Bayswater factory. Is that is that the current um, location? Now, we're in Bayswater from the, uh, let's say, the early, or probably early 90s to the 
to the early noughties and we left Bayswater in 2003 and we've been out till home ever since. So 2003 to now, so coming to 13 years now. Okay, cool. Well, you know what, I'm, I'm thinking Bayswater because my mate, and I think it was built in 2000 and it's got little Bayswater on the sticker. I think that's what I'm thinking. But um, So this is the third Mateson factory though, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. We're back the first first business other than out of Bill's home in Thornbury at the time. Sure. The factory was actually, um, the first factory was in Canterbury Road yep. in Canterbury, which in fact is only about a, a five-minute drive from where we are here in Box Hill. Okay. So so I drive drive past the old factory every day on my way to and from work. That's great. That's very cool. So um, back back to the early days a little bit. How how were the early maintenance received by by the guitar community? And did um, was Bill working through dealerships or was he selling directly to musicians? The guitars are well well received because Bill's Bill's motto was to to build the guitarist an affordable guitar, yeah. and uh, whether it was fantastically received and people really appreciated that having a, a locally made product um, that was affordable. Yeah. Potentially, obviously, it was well, well before my time. I suspect that might have been better for PR than for, for the bottom line. Um, but of course, it created a wonderful capital base for, for where we are now. Um, they're, they're, with respect to getting the guitars out there, there, there were there, there has been some some distribution over the journey domestically, but it's primarily being through retail. And you go back to the Rash's music um, in the back in the day, you know, wonderful supporters of ours, mm-hmm. Billy Hyde of more recent times. Um, so your wonderful, wonderful support uh, from the retailers over the journey. So we typically have a so we were very much a manufacturer um, slash wholesaler, and yeah. then have have a salesman or salesmen now um, who are that vital link between factory here and the retail and the retailers are really supportive of us um, and they, they did a wonderful job in in really educating the public in um, in terms of it was not only unknown to have a have an Australian made guitar yeah. um, but it was also equally as unknown to have an Australian timber guitar and so we pioneered the usage of 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 Timbers such as Queensland maple, mm-hmm. so locally and, and Victorian blackwoods, so locally sourced timbers um, that, that are now so wonderfully received around the world, and, and our retailers are very much a part of that. Okay, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's. I mean, these days it is very much um, a standard practice for, especially for, for Australian luthiers to use Australian timbers. But yeah, Maiton was certainly uh, at the front of all that. Well, we had to be. Mm-hmm. We had no choice. It was just American timbers were, were well regarded, but just just prohibitively expensive to um, to obtain. Right. Okay. And so we we did, and we we still we still obviously sourced um, important imported timbers that that you that are must haves, like yeah. your your spruces, your rock maples, ebony's, and and rosewood, and so on. We had yeah. to do that, but you also needed to pioneer the usage of Australian timbers to make it feasible to to press on with guitar manufacturer and to, to get to where we are now. Sure. A really interesting thing I read about, there was um, a budget sort of line 
built at one stage. So you had the, the flagship models, but then there were some cheap instruments made. Um, but Bill quickly you know, quashed that idea after a little while. He was more in, interested in building a high-quality instrument. I was no doubt, absolutely. There's probably been, been models over the journey um, along that budget line, but it's, it's just long and strong and true that um, we have to make a better product and make it, make it here locally in Australia. Hmm. It's our whole mantra. It's our, our whole platform. Yeah, right. And it's, it's, we certainly build for quality more so than quantity. Sure. It's, um, it's, it's crucial to what we do. Yeah. You mentioned electric guitars and the master sounds when, when they came out. Now, 58, that's pretty early in, uh, in the life of electric guitar uh, being mass-produced. Like the Strat came out in 54, the Telecasters and Les Pauls maybe a year or two earlier. So, um, yeah, Bill was, was right on to that as well. Was he a progressive kind of a builder? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it was the, the year after the Second World War finished, obviously, 1946 and, and three, uh, obviously, a, a lot of manufacturers, a lot of businesses worldwide that that had their um, formative years immediately post the war. Mm-hmm. And three that come to mind are Maton, Fender, and Framus. And Framus, Franconian Music, obviously, the, um, the, the famous German brand. And... It was um, feels very much, very much um, part of that that historical um, guitar making world, whereby um, in the, in the years immediately following the war, to to employ people and keep people in a job and to get the economy going again. Um, obviously, we're at a different we're at a different level to Fender, or Fender at a different level to us. But the but the origins are not dissimilar in that it was that immediately post war period, whereby Everyone was getting back on track and and trying to earn an honest honest dollar for an honest day's work. Sure. And so that that had to be the case. We had to just get out there and get amongst it and 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 be be pioneers in what they did and and make a good product and try and make a dollar out of it. And and that was really really obviously important to to what Bill did. Now the the Master Sounds were the first electric, and they um, very notably and I'd, I'd say successfully were reissued around. I think it was the late 90s or 2000s, um, and they're still part of your range. What, what other iconic electric models did uh, did Martin come up with? Well, we, we came up with... Um, Bill was Bill loved um, electric uh, jazz box guitars, like the um, the George Goller guitar, the, um, the Master Sound, the Starlines, Mayfairs, Ibis, JB4s. Mm-hmm. All sorts. I mean, you, you just refer to our website, but there's many and varied electrics. Some of which, some of which uh, were around for quite a short period of time, such yeah. as the, the, the wedge tail, for argument's sake, mm-hmm. but have now become iconic collectors' items. Yeah, and, sure. And I guess, I guess now we've moved into a range of, of, of master sound guitars, whereby our, our, our highest selling, or our main master sound guitar, is our 50th anniversary guitar which was in 2008 so 50 years after 1958 yep. a master sound guitar and you, that's the one you probably recognize most commonly mm-hmm. and that was um the most public um display of that was the one that george harrison obtained okay. in England, and yep. uh and, and it's very much a replica of the, of the guitar that he had fantastic and when did you get that guitar so was he in england or was it when they when they toured australia how did he come into um, 
How did he end up with a mate in George Harrison? I'm not sure if everyone, anyone knows the entire detail. The story as I know it mm-hmm. uh, is they, they had a gig on the Beatles um, in Liverpool at home and my understanding is his, his guitar at the time, I'm not quite sure what brand it was, but he had a, 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 an issue with, with the guitar. So he went to his local shop mm-hmm. and said, we've got a gig tonight and um, I need my guitar fixed, please. And the guy looked at him and said, well, this is not going to be fixed within today. You're not going to be playing this guitar today. And so George said, well, I need a guitar for the, the gig. And the, the, the shop owner went out the back and found a guitar, put it in his hand, and, and he played it. And that was the Maton. Wow. How the shop got its hand on the Maton, um, not too sure. Don't know how that happened. But... Um, that's that's the story as I, as I know it. Wow, that's very cool. Um, of course, the the Stones were the other big band uh, in in England at that time, and um, apparently Keith Richards has a, a Maiton story as well. He's got a wonderful story, Keith. He he had um, again, I think it was a housemate of his at the time. Uh-huh. Had a guitar that, um, of course, was just lying around the house, being being a housemate. As I understand it, that that housemate left the house in quite a hurry, and and left the guitar behind, and 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 so Keith ended up being the proud owner of that guitar. And <laughs> cool. He actually recorded, wrote, and recorded "Give Me Shelter." Wow. That guitar. And and yeah, there's there's footage of that, and there's um, there's a story about that, um, especially in our book. I recommend that people buy our book. The Recently, recently published book to celebrate our seventh year. The, the music that Mason made mm-hmm. available in all good good bookstores. Matt, nice. So, um, I'd like to urge your listeners to get into a bookstore and uh, get hold of that book, and you'll be able to read read the story about the Stones, the story about the Beatles, the story about many many bands mm-hmm. that have applied their trade, and Mason has formed a formed a great part of what they do. Fantastic, that's awesome. Um, Speaking about notable artists, um, can you talk much about Tommy Emmanuel and his um, association with Maiton Guitars over the years? Tommy Emmanuel, what can you say about the man? Uh, we're just wonderfully delighted that uh, we have a relationship with him. And I, I'm really happy to say that I believe strongly that he feels the same way. So we were his first guitar mm-hmm. back when he was with... When he was about five years old, story goes that he had the guitar. Uh, his, his dad had the guitar, I should say, and he kept it under his bed. And Tommy would, would from time to time, when he was dad, his dad was out at work or whatever, would would grab the guitar from under the bed, have a bit of a play with it, and then make sure that he put it nice, safely, and securely back under the bed, so his old man didn't see and <laughs> saw no evidence of him playing. <laughs> Uh, I understand that one night uh, his old man got home early and found Tommy with the guitar and Tommy thought he was going to be probably beaten to within an inch of his life for, <laughs> for playing the gorgeous, expensive mate on guitar. But his dad said, um, just play it for me. And so Tommy started having a bit of a play, knew his chords, obviously, knew, knew, knew his way around the guitar, started playing with it. And his dad's simple response was, 
well, you, but you're better than I am, so you can have it. Wow. And that was the start <laughs> of a long and proud um, guitar playing life of Tom in a long and proud association we share with him to this day. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, it's um, it's been amazing. I remember, oh, yeah, years in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, living in Sydney, it was easy for me to go and see Tommy Emmanuel playing just in some small bar or, or a pub somewhere um, and obviously being blown away. But these days he's a, he's a household name in the guitar community all around the world. So that must be a wonderful thing. Um, I mean, obviously for you guys to see one of your own out and about, but also for the maiden name to be so well regarded all around the world now. Oh, it is. I mean, you know, he yes, he had did have humble beginnings and, and he'd be the first to suggest that, but I guess everyone has humble beginnings. Sure. I think the, 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 the two of us have grown grown together which has been a, a, a wonderful thing um, he now he, I mean, he lives in Nashville now he's lived in Nashville probably the last 15 years mm-hmm. he does something approaching on about 300 gigs a year wow which if you think of that you've got you've got to put your travel in yep you've got to do all the internal travel the external travel ex, um, overseas travel all the time and um, so he's a very very busy man but it absolutely defines him, and he, he loves it, and he's very, very good at it, and he's very giving of his time, and he loves playing his trade. So he was here just recently, in fact, mm-hmm. to, to formally celebrate and formally wish us a happy birthday for our 70th anniversary a few weeks ago, and um, he got up and played at the, at the gig that we had and came in and shared a day with us in here at the factory the next day, and... Obviously, you know, you just see the guys in the factory, their eyes light up when he's when he's here and it's a it's just a wonderful, wonderful time for us. And that evening he did um did a master class here at Mayton, so it was a hundred dollars a head and he had fifty guys here. Um, just lined up in the showroom with a master class, which is a bit of show and tell and questions that someone would typically ask him a question, how do you achieve this particular sound or this particular note and he'd, pl- he'd, he'd, he'd explain it and everyone would be you know in awe of what he was doing and then that would then break into a song and he'd explain he'd explain how we would achieve certain sounds through illustration and then actually break into a song that was going to further illustrate um, the points he was trying to make and Great. the sounds that he made so oh, people just people see that as just a, a real bucket list event to attend one of those absolutely that's that's fantastic. Hey, it's interesting to say, you know, he's so giving of his time. Obviously, in that in that class and those things he he does. But some of our guests on the Guitar Speak podcast um, uh, knew Tommy way way back. So we've had people like Michael Fix and Peter Northcott and um, uh, recently David David Moyes, and they're all sort of busy in the Sydney scene. And um, to a man, each of them got gigs or got referrals from Tommy as Tommy got busier and, and got more and more gigs. Um, Tommy would be. Uh, yeah, looking out for younger players to encourage and and uh, get working, especially Michael Fix. Um, he had lots to say about the sort of mentorship that that he experienced with with Tommy. Oh, they're very close, those two. Wow. absolutely. And I mean, Michael Michael is just absolutely brilliant in what he does. And you know, I'm I'm not a guitarist myself, but but people say and, and they're right. They say that Michael is incredibly technically brilliant. What he, what he can do and yeah I'm sure there was a lot of inspiration for what Michael does um, in, in what Tommy has done in the past and they've played 
together quite a lot, and and they love each other and they they play together, and um, it's a beautiful thing. Wonderful. Hey, you mentioned the seventieth anniversary. So um, a book came out. Um, what, what sort of other events? You mentioned the gig at that uh, that you guys put on as well. Yeah, it was a wonderful gig. Um, the book has been a, a, a probably a, in excess of a two year labour of love, and it, it's just come together beautifully. And so it just it just went into it was published in late May, early June, mm-hmm. and people are loving it. It's not a cheap book; it's a seventy five dollar book, but um, we're selling a lot of them directly here. But we're through our, through our publisher, Scribe Publishing, that's all the major major um, book retail outlets around Australia and they've also got distribution in the US and the UK which is just starting off now as well so uh, things are going wonderfully with it and we're hopefully having a a good Christmas with that book we uh, have also done a couple of 70th anniversary guitars um, which have been going wonderfully well for us that's a a high end guitar about a $3,500 guitar it's largely based on our Australian guitar mm-hmm. and the stores have absolutely loved that and, and in fact not only our domestic stores have loved it but but almost to a person each of our each of our worldwide distributors has absolutely loved that number one is a great quality guitar but it really helps them in export markets because I guess most people in Australia are not particularly surprised about the fact that we're 70 years old because they've obviously lived, lived through our journey together. But certainly in export markets, Japan in particular, um, throughout the whole of Europe, mm-hmm. absolutely, the US, China, so the places where we've had distributors for a shorter period of time, they're loving having that product because it's such a good product, but they're also loving it because it, it really franks our existence and, sure. and explains to the to their their retailers and their retailers customers that Mason's not a new product. <clears throat> it may be new enough in that particular market, but um, they get such a such a stamp of um, authenticity when when people know that it's a seventy year old business. Sure, they know that we're not going to go anywhere, and they know that we're here to stay, and we and we've attained that age for a particular reason. Yeah, brilliant. Now, Maiden, as, as you mentioned earlier on, is still family-run and owned. Well, why do you think that's important? There, there can't be many companies in Australia um, with as much longevity that are still still owned by by the original family. Why, why is that an important thing? I think it's important because it, 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 there's, there's um, passion and there's real incentive to be really good, um, I guess, incumbents of a of a brand over a period of time and we're all we, we know that we just pass us through really in, inside what is a, is a much larger brand and I guess uh, the the importance of being family owned is because it's still we're very appreciative and very um, acknowledging of our roots and where we've come from and 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 we're here at a point in time and we're proud to we're proud, proud of that, proud of where we've come from, and, and all anyone in this business ever wants to do is just make sure that it's a better place after after they've been here. And I think that a lot of people achieve that. And I think being privately family owned is is, is the best is the best way to achieve that. Fantastic. And um, 
So in your seventieth year, what what does the future hold for for mates and guitars? Well, I hope it's a bright future, Matt. It's uh, it's my responsibility, partly, to um, make sure that it is a is a successful future. Uh, I think that I wouldn't be lying to to say that things are difficult domestically um, in in retail and in manufacturing. It's very very sad day today unfortunately and ironically enough that the final Ford Falcon has rolled off the assembly line in Broadmeadows mm. today and that's an incredibly sad event um, uh, for manufacturing for Australia and for Australia's history um, that's an iconic manufacturer and you know long may manufacturing survive and, and thrive um, we certainly hope we don't go that same way and we're putting a lot of things in place in order that that doesn't happen. And we, I guess, we'll, we'll never have the competition that Ford had, which is, you know, mass-produced automotive market out of, out of Asia in particular, sure. and Eastern Europe, I guess. But um, it, just, it just shows the importance of working really hard, investing in your people, investing in research and development and just trying to make a better product all the time so that you remain relevant and, and can continue on. And I think that um, I would find it very difficult to say any bad words about um, Ford or other guitar, other other car manufacturers who are ceasing to manufacture here, but it's always in the back of your mind that it's... Um, there's a lot of good people involved in those businesses. It's a very, very sad thing that um, they're no longer going to be able to justify making their product here in Australia. And so we need to work as hard as we can to avoid that. And, and, and our retailers here are, are a massive part of the support network around what we do. Mm -hmm. they, they love our brand. They love our people. They love the fact that we're trying to get better and better. But equally so, it's um, also important. I guess one of the advantages we have over a Ford, for argument's sake, is the ability to export. And we are quite a niche product. And we we make 8,000 guitars a year, which sounds like a lot, but I guess in, in Asian standards, not sure. such, a, such a great amount. So we're very much positioned at the higher end of the marketplace in in Asia and mm -hmm. in Europe and cool. that's really important to us and the and our our growth in export markets has been wonderfully strong and will continue to be so we certainly hope we're on a pretty good tra trajectory in those markets fantastic yeah when, when, we, when we spoke to Michael Fix he was saying um, in Europe and he's in Europe now actually he's, he gets there once a year um, yeah, the maiden name is is very well regarded. Yeah, you know, on the ground with guitar players and and uh, and is a bit of a niche market. It's 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 you know somewhat an exotic product in a way. Um, so when Michael comes over and he can, um, you know, show his model, the the Michael Fix model, and um, yeah, show a bit about maiden, it, it it always goes over really well over there. So that's great to hear. And in Australia, I know, you know, as an owner myself, when I was as a kid, you think, oh, one day I'll get a a decent acoustic guitar uh, a, a pro quality one it's always um for me it was always you know one day i'll get a mate and one day and eventually that happens so i think um 
I think there's a whole generation of players who who still love love the company, love what what you guys are doing. So um, that's great. So we give you all the all the best wishes for the next the next seventy years. And look, Michael's Michael's selling him short in what he's saying. To be honest, there with him, Matt. I mean, he 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 is part of the story. He's part of the fabric of this business, and he's part of the re- he's he's toured for a very long time. Mm, and, yeah. And it's it's thanks to the guys like Michael who are good and good enough technically, number one. Yeah. But have got the have got the um, let's say initiative to. It's really difficult to go overseas and, and ply your trade. It's a really difficult trade to ply, and for sure. him to go overseas and, and do that is enormous. Um, and yes, he's he's got a good guitar, and we're proud of that as well. But gee whiz, he had to get over there and um, and make himself known. And you know, he's done a wonderful, wonderful job of that. And and that's part of the whole reason why our our um, exposure and our reputation. In, in, in all European markets is improving, um, largely, you know, thanks to the likes of Michael. Great. To yourself personally, all I would say is the good thing, Matt, is that when you get a good guitar, mate, um, you realise how good a brand is and you, then you need to progress through that brand and you need to buy two and three and four, mate, on, <laughs> to really satisfy your thirst for a good product. And so I'm sure you'll add to your collection over the journey. Yeah, love to. Love to, love to have a couple more maidens in the, in the stable. That said, the one I've had got, it's um, I've had it for 16, 17 years and playing beautifully and sounding better than ever. So, um, yeah, this, this is a benefit in buying a quality instrument, definitely. Yeah, I'm Maybe really glad to hear that. Love and care. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. We know you're a very busy man at running a, running a large company. Um, so we really appreciate your time and really great to hear... Um, a bit more about the Maiton story and, and hear about your celebrations of your 70th year. No problems at all, Matt. And I just wanted to just uh, remind the, the punters out there that we do run factory tours. They happen every Thursday. Okay, I can, I can, and that's um, free. Well, it's, it's, it is free of charge, but it's, a, it's an optional gold coin donation to the Beyond Blue project, which is, which is really important to us. Excellent. Um, and... I know that it is booked out for a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess after Christmas, perhaps February time, um, the book is open again. And oh, okay. people, people love the tour and they can, we're just a completely open book here. We don't, we don't hide anything at all. They can take as much photos or videos as they want. Fantastic. And, um, and they, they can get to buy a bit of, a bit of gear at the merchandise shop, see a bit of the history in the museum and, go on their way and go out to a store and buy, buy a mate on guitar. So it's a beautiful thing. That's great. So how do people um, book one of those tours? They just, they just either give us, a, give us a call, jump on our website, www.maton.com.au. I think there's a link to the tour or at least there's a contact us. Oh, okay. Give us a call. Fantastic. And, um, and, and lovely Simone at reception will, um, will help you out. Great. Excellent. Well, David, Stephen, thank you once again. It's been been great talking to you, and um, yeah, all the best. You too, Matt, and all the best to you. And I'm lo- loving loving your podcast, and I wish you all the success moving forward. and And I hope you get more and more subscribers, and it becomes part of the fabric of the Australian music scene, and um, and in, in internationally as well. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, David. Thank you. Pleasure, Matt. 
So there you go. So great to hear a bit more about the Maiton guitar story. Thanks for joining me on the Guitar Speak podcast. Remember, you can find all of our episodes for download uh, on iTunes in the podcast section on Stitcher, or if you go to guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com. We're going to close out the show today with one of our great friends, Michael Fix. We interviewed Michael way back in episode three of the podcast. You can check out that episode. And uh, Michael very kindly gave me permission to use part of a track off his beautiful new album called Bending Air. There's a wonderful track called Losing Myself, played on a beautiful Maiton guitar. We'll see you next time. <laughs>